You're in a locker room. It's a place where you have to look hard at where you are. It's a place where you have to look hard at where you're going. It's a place where the coach has to say some things. And hopefully those things add up to the truth. Hopefully in a locker room like this, they're based on the truth, the truth of God's word. And so today you're, you're in a locker room. And I'm a coach. And some of you are going to really like what I'm going to say. I'm going to be transparent and vulnerable. And some of you aren't going to like what I'm going to say because I'm going to be transparent and vulnerable. But we're in this locker room together because we are a team together. We are a team together. So welcome to the locker room because you win in the locker room first. I like sports sayings. I love sports sayings. With an economy of words, they drive toward the big win. If what you did yesterday seems big, you haven't done anything today. The great Lou Holtz. The ones who say you can't and you won't are probably the ones scared you will. It's not what you're capable of. It's what you're willing to do. Be the player coaches warn their team about. Be the player coaches warn their team about. And then one of the most winningest coaches in today's college world, Nick Saban. There are two pains in life. The pain of discipline and the pain of disappointments. If you can handle the pain of discipline, then you'll never have to deal with the pain of disappointments. And that doesn't mean you're going to win all the time, as Nick Saban so well knows. It doesn't mean you're going to win all the time. But it means that once you have done your best, once you have done everything you can, and you have executed to the best of your ability, then you can rest in understanding that discipline has got you wherever the good Lord saw fit to get you. I love this, love this clip from the movie Friday Night Lights. The coach in the locker room. And he says these words. To me, to me, being perfect is not about the scoreboard out there. It's not about winning. It's about you and your relationship to yourself and your family and friends. And that's the whole relational glue concept. That's relational glue in a nutshell. It's part of our lives in every aspect of our lives. It's about you and your relationship to yourself and your family and friends. Being perfect is about being able to look your friends in the eye and know that you didn't let them down because you told them the truth. And that truth is, is that you did 
everything you could. There wasn't one more thing you could have done. Can you live in that moment as best as you can with clear eyes and love in your hearts, with joy in your hearts? If you can do that, then you're perfect. I want you to take a moment and I want you to look each other in the eyes. I want you to put each other in your hearts forever because forever is about to happen here in a few minutes. Because forever is about to happen here in a few minutes. And I don't just say that because I heard it in the video. I say that because we're here in this locker room. Forever is about to happen in a few minutes. It's 56 AD. The Apostle Paul is traveling around the known world at that time, around the Roman Empire. He's bringing a message, a message of hope, a message of redemption, a message of resurrection. And he's saying something like this, forever is happening here right now. And it's going to keep happening. It's going to keep happening because of Jesus Christ. And he's going to these, to these young churches. He's trying to encourage them. He's trying to, to get them going in the right direction. He's trying to say, you got to look each other in the eye. you got to keep each other in, in your hearts. Because of what God has done in Christ. And how God has poured out his love toward you. So he's like the great Christian coach of the first century. Going into all these these locker rooms filled with people who have just begun to understand what this journey to the kingdom of God is all about. And so in 1 Corinthians, where Paul writes to this early church in a, in a city that was a crossroads of the early world, people from all over were coming through Corinth, uh, different languages were being spoken, different cultures were, were coming together, you had the, the moral and you had the immoral. You had people who could you know, cuss up one side and down the other. You had people who could pray upside and down the other. And it was all happening there. And he wrote this letter to 1 Corinthians, what we call 1 Corinthians, to bring life correction, to bring life correction, to get everybody on the same page, everybody going in the right direction. So I'm going to read to you from 1 Corinthians Chapter 9. Even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. Religious, non-religious, meticulous moralists, loose-living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever... I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. Paul was moving out into the world, watching, listening, trying to help people understand where they were missing the mark, where God had entered their world and given them a light and given them a hope. 
I become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all this because of the message, because of the gospel. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. I wanted to live this. I wanted to embrace this. This is who I am. This is what I live for. This is the hope that lives in me. And I, I go out into the world to make sure that message is clear to everyone. And then he transitions toward the end of the chapter. You've all been to the stadium and seen athletes race. They had stadiums back then. We have stadiums today. There's going to be a big thing happening in a stadium this evening. You've all been to the stadium and seen the athletes race. Everyone runs. One wins. Run to win. All good athletes train hard. They do it for a gold medal that tarnishes and fades. You're after one that's gold eternally. I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving it everything I've got. No sloppy living for me. I'm staying alert and in top condition. I'm not going to get caught napping, telling everyone else all about it, and then missing out myself. So the message puts it in, in a language that's easily accessible and down to earth. The NIV hearkens more to the ancient language. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Whatever is about to happen here in a few minutes. Therefore, I do not run like someone aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And so Paul's argument falls neatly into four layers. First, do you not know? He states the obvious. Of course they know. Verse 24, he just states the obvious. Second, still in verse 24, he challenges the church. Run to get the prize. What are you doing? you got to run to get the prize. That's what it's all about. Third, he makes the analogy between the temporal and the eternal in verse 25. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. This evening there will be confetti cannons going off. Lights will be shining. One team will walk away. We won't hear about them until next season. One team will stand on a platform. There'll be the Lombardi Trophy gleaming in that moment, and everybody will be congratulating each other. And then when the show ends and the lights go off 
and the stadium empties. It all starts all over again. And everybody begins to wonder who will be in this place next year. This is the difference between the temporal and the eternal. They do it to get a crown that will not last, ever lasts. But we, we're focused on something that's so much bigger. And finally, and he must do this, because he must stand in front of them. He must be with them, but he must lead them. He personalizes his lesson and drives it home. Verses 26 and 27. He says, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. How silly would it be if we handed off the ball to a running back and he ran behind the Gatorade and around the TV cameras and he went and shook the hands of all the cheerleaders. You would say, that's aimless running. That's just craziness. I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul says, I'm giving it everything I have. There's one thing to give everything you have in your life for. There's one thing to embrace. Embrace this. Live this. And so he challenges this early church, this early locker room. And he basically says, you win in the locker room first. This book, You Win in the Locker Room First, is written by John Gordon, who was famous for writing The Energy Bus. He wrote a lot of other books that are used in business today, The Energy Bus. And Mike Smith, who once coached the Atlanta Falcons for, I believe it was six years. And he saw the highs and the lows of coaching. So they tried to put all their wisdom together in their, in their book. And the byline is The Seven Seas to Build a Winning Team in Business, Sports, and Life. And it's a good book. They write, with the competition so heated, everyone is looking for an edge. Teams spend millions of dollars every year trying to gain an advantage and be better than the rest of the league. Strategy is important. Execution is imperative. However, the most overlooked aspect in team sports and what most coaches and leaders fail to grasp is the fact that it is your culture that will determine whether your strategy works and is sustainable. It is the culture that is going to determine whether your players perform and execute. I think it was just last year that the word of the year announced by Webster's, the word of the year for our society was culture. Every week you will face very difficult circumstances that are completely out of your control. The ball is not going to bounce your way. And there will be mistakes made by both players and coaches. And as we have recently seen, and refs. In the face of all this, in the face of all this, it is your culture that will be the driving force to create resiliency, toughness, passion, and attitude to overcome the obstacles in your way. Culture is the rock that your organization must be built upon. Whatever organization, whatever. The church, Paul's talking about culture here. 
to the early church at Corinth. Your business, your school, your family. Culture is the rock that your organization must be built upon. And in the book where they talk about the seven C's, the seven C's are culture, contagious, consistent, communicate, connect, commitment, and care. Culture. You have to fight for your culture and team. It's not a passive experience. You have to move into it. You have to be assertive. Sometimes you have to go after it and you have to be aggressive. Culture means you have to fight for your culture and team. Contagious means that you've got to understand the, the energy that runs your organization, your family, your church, your school. And he, he talks about this as sort of an odd way to put it. No energy vampires allowed. Nobody allowed in the locker room who can suck the energy out of the room. The no complaining rule is another book that John Gordon wrote. It's contagious, consistent. Consistent means be consistent in your desire to be great. Be consistent in your desire to be great. One of the first messages I gave to Spring Branch in the first year, we were into it about nine months, is called Call to Greatness. It's titled Call to Greatness. And that is still available in our information packet where you can request it where it's actually online. Be consistent in your desire to be great. And complacency is a disease. Communicate. The most important thing a coach can do. We all can do better at communication. I know I can almost every day be better at communicating. We all need to do better and think about communication. Connect. Stay connected. That's what this whole small group thing is about. It's about staying connected because connection breeds commitment and commitment fosters connection. And when you sit in that circle and you look somebody in the eye and they're praying for you and you're praying for them and you're learning together and you're asking the questions that really need to be asked, you're doing something bigger than just that circle. You're doing something that's building faith and life together. It's becoming a real part of who you are in this life. You're doing life together with other people. Commitment. When you commit, you make everyone better. And care. Care is a strategy. It's not something that you just do in a haphazard way. Care is a strategy. Culture, contagious, consistent. Communicate, connect, commitment, and care. And it's a, it's a great book. It's a great read. You win in the locker room first. And this is what Paul was talking about when he wrote to the early church at Corinth. Even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. He's saying it's part of the culture to serve. It's part of the culture to give yourself away without expecting anything in return, to let God use you, to let God move you. He says, I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ. To stay focused on Christ is part of the culture, but I entered into their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. He says, I didn't isolate myself. Part of our culture is moving into the world. We live at the intersection of sacred history and secular culture, and we move into that world. The world has never more needed people to move in with them, to help them see what Christ looks like, to help them see how Jesus would think, to help them see what Jesus would do. And that's part of the culture that Paul is talking about. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all this because of 
the message. I just, I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. Again, it's part of the culture to be in this, to be fully engaged, to not let anything slide, be sliding around all the time. Paul is talking about the culture, the culture that Jesus Christ gave him to teach in the locker rooms of the early church. So let's talk about culture now at this point. Springbear's culture. We have as a baseline what we call five G's. It's very, very simple. And here they are. Grace, growth, groups, gifts, grace giving. That's it. The five G's. You can know that easily. You can even memorize it quickly. Grace, growth, groups, gifts, grace giving. Grace means you know you have come to a place where you have totally given yourself to Christ. You entered that moment of redemptive hope, redemptive truth, redemptive life. You know who he was, who he is, who he will always be. You know he died for you. He gave himself for you. And you have received that forgiveness from him. You have become a vessel of God's Holy Spirit. And you live that out each and every day. For some of us, that happened in a moment. It happened for me in a moment in February of 1971. In a split second, it happened. For others of us, it happens over a period of time. And we're not sure exactly when we transition into having given our whole mind and heart to Christ. But we know at some point that we did. But it's the grace in Jesus Christ that we hold together. And we hold firm as a foundation for building our lives. Grace, growth, means you take your growing seriously as a Christian. So you take a class, and you read a book, and you go to a Bible study, and you're part of understanding that you can learn and learn and learn for your entire life, and still you will not have learned everything that there is to learn about God. Even as we, as we enter this Explore God series, we'll learn a lot, and we'll ask a lot of questions, and we'll find some answers, but we will we'll never exhaust our ability to learn about God. So we grow and we grow and we grow. Continuous growth. Groups is what we're talking about in terms of accountability, in terms of doing life together, in terms of finding support, finding that sense of community in life and learning what it means to walk through life together. Gifts. You know, each of us, you have spiritual gifts. You might not know what they are today. I have a spiritual gift. You utilize your spiritual gift to help the church be as good as it can be, whether it's teaching, whether it's giving, whether it's helping, whether it's serving, whatever your giftedness is, there are, there are actually spiritual gifts tests. If you want to take a spiritual gifts test, just call us and, and let us know or email us and let us know. We'll help you take the test. We'll help you define what your gifts are so you can deploy your gifts in the church. And then grace giving. Grace giving is part of our culture and grace giving easily defined is this. God has given you 100% of what you have. He gave you 100% of what you have. How much of 100% can you give back to him? You want a percentage? That's a percentage. How much of 100% can you give back to him? We are a church the God who has great wealth that he has bestowed upon us. And when we take the grace-giving challenge and we say, take one step, what's the one step I can take? You will see a ministry 
changing, exploding, growing, doing things that we thought we couldn't do, and all of a sudden we are doing them because we have the opportunity to take one step to change everything, to change the game of who we are. It's not what you're capable of. It's what you're willing to do. So what is our culture? What is our culture? I thought about it. When you peel back the surface, what's inside of Spring Branch Community Church? And I came up with five things. First, we live out a culture of having compassion for the world around us locally and globally. We are a compassionate church, and I am so proud of you for being such a compassionate church. And let me take you for 21 seconds into the heart of your compassion right now. water tower rises in a remote village in West Africa. It shouldn't be there, but it's there because you put it there. And you can hear the celebration, a celebration that went on for well over two hours and over a thousand people came out and national news media came out. And it was amazing because you are compassionate and you want to change the world, and you want to be the hope of the world, and you are, this is you being the hope of the world, water going out now to more and more villages, and it's only the beginning of what we can, what we can continue to do. Let me talk to you about the Rise Against Hunger event in March, when you will come out and you'll pack meal after meal after meal on a Saturday morning, and these meals will go out to Places where people are just wondering, where is my next meal coming from? Is there anyone even thinking about me and my family? Rise against hunger. The community fund, where not a day goes by that we don't get a phone call. I get phone calls all the time, and we send food, and we take care of rent or rental assistance. We meet people where they are and give to them because you give to that. We live out a culture of having compassion for the world around us locally and globally. Two, we live out a culture of encouraging each other to grow closer to Christ. That's why there's faith and life classes. That's why they're, they're the small groups that are, are getting ready to launch. How exciting to jump in to one of those opportunities. That, you, know, you cannot say, I don't know anybody, if you don't jump into one of these as an opportunity. Um, this culture of encouraging each other to, each other to, grow, to grow in Christ, men's breakfast on Saturday morning, women's ministry happening all the time. We live out a culture, number three, of building the next generation of ministry and mission. We're passionate about children's and student ministry, not as an afterthought or babysitting thought, but with strategic engagement toward life change for each child, life change for each student. We live out a culture of relational glue. We've just been in that series. It concludes today, where we're learning that, that relationships are hard. There are difficulties. There are pitfalls. There are struggles. There are places where you get stuck, and we're honest about that, and we talk about that so we can get better. An honest answer 
is like a kiss upon the lips. And finally, we live out a culture of sacred stewardship where we're willing to take a grace-giving challenge and see what God will do as we take one step. This is who we are. This is what we do. We're compassionate. We encourage each other to grow in Christ. We build the next generation. We engage relational glue issues. We live in sacred stewardship. This is who we are. This is what we do. We bring faith and life together. Everybody connected in ministry and mission. Everybody looking like Jesus. Paul said, run in such a way as to get the prize. You know that all the runners run. You know that. Run to get the prize. He states the obvious. He challenges the church. He makes the analogy between the temporal and the eternal. He personalizes his lesson and drives it home. Tim Tebow said, nothing is perfect, not people, not stuff, not positions. So always remember, always remember this day in the locker room. Being perfect is not being perfect is about being able to look your friends in the eye and know that you didn't let them down because you told them the truth. And that truth is, is that you did everything you could and there wasn't one more thing you could have done. Can you live in that moment? I want you to take a moment and I want you to look each other in the eyes. I really do. I want you to put each other in your hearts forever. Because forever is about to happen here in a few minutes. Forever is, is about to happen here in a few minutes. As you heed Paul's words, as you understand taking one step changes everything. As you know for certain that you win in the locker room First, forever is about to happen right now. Run, run in such a way that you get the prize. Dear Heavenly Father, dear Heavenly Father, we're so humbled, so humbled to run for the prize, we're so humbled to run after Jesus, we're so humbled to run toward being the church, a light in the world. We're so humbled to exercise compassion, a compassion that comes from your heart for us. Father, we're so humbled to be sacred stewards. Father, give us this moment. Allow us to embrace that forever is about to happen here right now. We give our lives to you again today. Jesus' name, amen.